Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? (sighs) Breathless, breathless week of football. I say that. Aren't they all? Yeah, not really. The the paucity of games now that we're at the semi-final stage of the Champions League was made up for by the fact that Manchester City and Real Madrid is oh. was just so good. Today's game was was not, but Tuesday's game at the Etihad was. It was everything you hope for when you sit down to watch a Champions League semi-final. The the problem now for the Champions League is that I'm forgetting in the last five, six years, how many memorable, unbelievable, bonkers games there have been. You're, you're, you're beginning to forget because there have been so many. Yeah. Um, it's almost a shame that it was only a first leg. Like, you kind of wanted that to be, like, this rousing conclusion. I think there's more drama on the way. Well, there certainly is. I'm sure there will be. These, this doesn't feel like we're steamrolling towards a nil-nil. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk all about both Champions League semifinal first legs, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, uh, second half of the podcast, we're going to do kind of like a, a little thing I call weekly superlatives, JJ. First um, of all, you don't call it that. You say I, just, like, I just did. No, a little thing I call yeah. suggests a regularity to it. Like you get up in the morning, Amanda goes, what have you got on for today? Oh, you know, got to do some, got to do some work for the case show. I'm going to pick up a few things at the store. I got to do weekly superlatives. Right. Oh, you love that. <laughs> this is your just, new segment. Just a little ditty that I like to call weekly superlatives. Don't say, don't say ditty. A ditty that we'll do later in the podcast. So, so you have that to look forward to. We'll cover a lot of ground in that from everything that's gone on, uh, gone on over the course of the past week. And uh, a, fun, a fun mailbag as well at the end of the podcast. Um, so I look forward to all these things. I have a really good feeling in my bones about this podcast tonight. Can I begin by ruining it? <laughs> destroying it by asking you uh, where's my music your music my musical uh what do you have your own theme music that like you walk in a room and suddenly uh i got inspired by tuesday's game and a concert i went to so i obviously demanded you put something together and so what you're looking for is this morris plays it in what a start for manchester city kevin de bruyne has plunged and plundered by De Bruyne, Jesus turning and scoring! How sharp is he right now? Mendy can lift it in, it's Benzema! And the dynamic changes! Fernandinho's cross, Foden! That's a terrific turn from Vinicius, who chases away from Diaz and keeps on going. Vinicius, oh, wonderful goal! Wonderful, wonderful goal! Bernardo Silva, Belter! Benzema in the face of the Blues in a moment that matters massively. Karim Benzema immaculately calm. And greed and ponder on what you have just witnessed. Peter Drury was he was on on his game just like those two teams were. He was excellent on the call. He was superb. That's Fontaine's DC, who I saw last night, who were also super, absolutely super. I like the sound of that. Yeah, yeah, very, very good. Um, that game just gave me all the feelings. In fact, it was. 
I needed the concert almost to bring me down from watching that game. Yeah, what a day for you. Oh. You went from that game to the concert of the seven goals that were scored. Oh, my gosh. Um, I'll, I'll start with this, and then we'll really dive into the meat of the pod. But um, your favorite. Mine is I have a clear answer. I think that Benzema's goal at 2-1 is is my favorite because it's not that it's not a good cross by Ferland It's not a great cross. He's got to make something out of it. It's falling at his feet. He adjusts. He improvises in that way I told you he can do. He can improvise with his head, with his feet. He makes chances. And he made a chance out of that and whipped it. You could see the despair in Ederson's face. Mm. Oh, I'm not getting to this. And now it had a bit of luck that it goes through the legs, but at the same time, he has to angle his body in such a way to make that happen. Yeah. Oh my God! Just brilliant. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's wrong. <laughs> okay, I it forgot was the wrong answer. And there's nothing nicer than when talking about something that is clearly, you know, an opinion <laughs> to be told that you're wrong. No, the correct answer was Vinicius. I mean, I did like that. So the turn on that, so the that goal, it starts at midfield where he makes that turn on Fernandinho. Oh boy! And as it's developing, because he still has like 50 yards to go. And there are City defenders. Now, the decisions they made were questionable, but you see them on the screen. And so as he's at like 40 yards, 35 yards, you're thinking like, wow, with the way this move started, wouldn't this be cool if it actually resulted in a goal? <laughs> like kind of what I was thinking when Gio right. Reyna had that run for the U.S. Like, boy, this would be sick if it actually ended in a goal. Didn't, and it was still awesome. This with Vinny, as he's going downfield, I'm oh, like, Vinny, now, Vinny Jr., as he's making the rundown, I'm just like, God, this would be so cool if I if this actually ends in a goal, and it does. Question for Loved you: Loved every every inch of it. The finish with the kind of inside of the toe, where he kind, and I mean, the finish is just under pressure is just so good. Who did it remind you of? The inside of the toe, I don't know. You know, you know the way he's kind of just like whipped it with the side of his foot. It reminded me of Thierry Henry. The way All he right. used to finish yeah. like that. I mean, that. I feel like a lot of guys finish yeah. like that, but sure. Maybe, maybe. What do you think went through Fernandinho's mind? Please, the complete opposite of what was going through mine. Please don't let this end up in a goal. Please don't let this end up in a And only minutes earlier, Fernandinho comes in to play fullback, sets up an amazing goal for Phil Foden with a perfect cross, and he's probably on top. This sport like Kanate experienced a couple weeks ago with Liverpool, this sport humbles you in the most unbelievable of ways. You go from top of the world to bottom of it in seconds. I, I watched the replay today, the slow motion replay, and all I could see on Fernandinho's face was he's imagining like his, his first time at the beach as a kid. Then, he, then it flash forwards to, to like his first kiss. Mm-hmm. And... Like, all, all the milestones in his life, just his life flashed before him in an instant right there because he knows. You could see his soul. He, he probably watched at an out-of-body experience watching that one. He got undressed. When it happens to you, and again, never played at a, at a high level. It doesn't matter. Even if it's nine a side in the park, when, when, when you get megged or you get spun in that fashion, a part of you dies and, and never comes back. Yeah, it's like how do I how do I continue on in this game here? Like now he there's been, no salvaging this. He had been subbed in for stones, so he couldn't leave the field. <laughs> but if there was a way, uh they they used to do this thing on Soccer AM which was called Taxi. And it was when something really bad happened in the Premier League and they'd play it on the Saturday morning show Soccer AM. So they call 
they'd call it taxi and w- one of the taxis was Stephen Gerrard taking a free kick and he shanks it out so far that it hits the corner flag and they go taxi for Gerrard you know like literally taxi for Fernandinho just yeah. get in the cab give him a hundred dollars just drive take me away from this I, I must leave the premises um We'll talk about some of the other goals, but before we get to those, so when this game ended, um, there was really only one question that struck me because Manchester City won. They're going to go into the second leg up a goal, which is obviously important, but I did not walk away from this feeling like Manchester City won. It felt like to me they had missed an opportunity for this to essentially have been over, and I'm just wondering like, how through what prism is this result going to be viewed? Through the prism of an agitated, uh, I nearly said Mourinho, good lord, I'm bringing all his old ghosts back to haunt him. Guardiola on the sideline, his agitation in the first half with the Mares non-centre. Mm-hmm. Now I saw people say, uh, Gary Lineker put it up, a screenshot saying, it's actually hard. I thought that too. Oh no. I thought that, that Andrew, I thought that it's him ha- making that the no. perfect pass there with a defender between him and Foden, I think it was, would have been tougher to execute than him just going for goal. Watched it back today. He could have played a leading pass earlier than that. Earlier, <sighs> the gap was there, and it, and he's well capable. I mean, he's, 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 he's got the technology, and he just goes for the option, blasts it into the side net. But back to my main point. Mm. Guardiola's agitation showed you the, how he will be feeling about this game. He will be extremely annoyed. Not he, City can go through. Of course they can. City can go there and sc- I think they will score in the burnabout. That's not the point, though. The opportunity to bury Real Madrid was there, and they didn't take it. I mean, JJ, we talked a, a few years ago about, remember Messi's reaction when Usman Dembele didn't score at the end of Barcelona-Liverpool? And that was a beatdown. Yeah. And even then, Messi was like... Uh-oh. Uh, we've left them a lifeline. Don't do that. You right. do not and, wa- So for this to be 4-3, uh, yeah, certainly. Also, and, and, and all the feelings that you're talking about on the Pep side, um, that was clearly mirrored on the Real Madrid side. For Even though they come out of this a goal down, uh, Benzema tweeted afterwards, the game has only just begun. Like, they were... They were invigorated leaving the pitch that night at he what's is, to come in the second leg. He's feeling himself, isn't he, when you're tweeting that stuff out? As he should be. Absolutely. Um, I will say that this was one of the... I think it's a debate me and you have more often than most on the podcast, off the podcast. This idea of the of a kind of ideological battle. These talents, Vinicius Jr., Benzema, Modric... Cruise to a lesser extent, the, the way that they can impact games just through their individuality, just through their their ability versus the finely oiled systems and coaching and movement of Pep Guardiola. And it would have been... I, I, I'm going to quote from it later, but I might as well do it now as well. Rory Smith opened his New York Times match report by saying, there will be reams of data, stacks of dossiers, presented to Ancelotti Ancelotti and presented to Guardiola discussing how this game went down what happened uh-huh. his conclusion is they'll read that and realise that none of it matters that this was just a mess of a game <laughs> this was just a team that wanted to bring Real Madrid into the mud with them or Man City into the mud and and just allow their 
their individuals to take the stage, which did happen, and a team that wanted to just kill them with their system and with the way they played. Um, so who won out? I think, for now, the fact Real Madrid are only one goal down coming back means that they've won. So if you... So that means, to read into what you're saying, if you were picking who will go through, you have a better feeling about Real Madrid right now than you do Manchester City. Because I think Pep Guardiola has the scar tissue. I disagree with Rory. Pep may read the dossiers and think, I can't see any... I can't see the thing that made Real Madrid beat us. But Pep is going to over... There's a danger, rather, that Pep will do what he did before against Leon, against other sides. Overthink this. You know the thinking has begun. He, he was already kind of predicting the future in that first half. His reaction to the misses, again, watching it back today, like there's one where he has his hands on his head. And I'm like, all right, it's, you're, you're still, you know, you're, what, 3-1 up, I think, at that point. But he's just, he's losing, he's not losing it, but his, his composure and deportment on, on the sideline made me think, this guy has this scar tissue from what, what's happened in the past, and he's worried now about what could potentially happen next week. When they were up 2-0 after 11 minutes, you, thought, you almost thought this could get ugly. This could be a shellacking. This yeah. is where Real Madrid run out of road. This is where this side, which... Uh, pre and post Ronaldo has gotten through with, I don't know, lots and lots of luck and have turned, they've turned games on their head that they really should have lost. Even when Ronaldo was there, how many times did we think, these guys should be out? But they weren't. I mean, how many times in a final against Atletico Madrid did we think that? Right. Um, so this team, you thought this is the end of the road. And it, it seems like there's a little bit of road left to go. And you have to give them credit for that, for kind of always having that... Uh, that sort of spirit within them, especially in this competition. But again, it's, it's, it goes back to what you, you said to me. You, you're convinced the most amount of good players, technicians, defenders, skillful players on the field in a team is the best team. That is your view, right? You're not... <laughs> I, I would say that's a little simplistic. I, I believe that players matter in a way that sometimes we forget. Right. Um, when we talk about, well, four three three holding midfielders. I mean, look, a lot in, of inverted fullbacks. A lot of this sport is system. Yeah, like there's no question about that. Um, but a, but almost an equal or maybe more amount of this sport is like an amazing player goes on a run, takes on multiple defenders and scores. Like, or, or a guy just like a bounce comes off of a corner, he gets it 30 yards from goal and, sl- and smack. Like, that's, is that system-based, those kinds of goals? It no, was, but it, they happen just as frequently or more frequently. Like, r- silly deflections. Like, those goals might happen more than goals that are based off of systems. Now, the, the one that bucks that trend is one of the teams that played in this game, Manchester City. I feel like more of their goals are, you know, the low cross tap-in, right. um, which is very much system. So they may buck that trend, but a lot of other teams, it's kind of like there's a lot of individual brilliance that creates these moments. I don't know. It, it was hard to see what the system was when Red Maris was being kind of ushered through to put that cross in. I mean... The defending for the first 10, 15, 20 minutes by Real Madrid was just appalling. Yeah. Just and, absolutely all over the place. Yeah. And who was it? David Alaba on the Gabriel Jesus goal as well. Yeah. Just allowed him to 
get that. But I mean, it was a little bit of luck. I a think. lot of luck, but he's still. I mean, you've got to do better than that. Yeah, you've got the upper hand in that situation. Benzema. Yes. Let's have yet another, as we have had, I think after every single midweek Champions League podcast we've done, let's have another Benzema conversation. Um, here's one of the things that I find particularly amazing about what he's doing right now for Real Madrid. So Julian Loren pointed this out on Twitter. Um, he says, Kareem Benzema has scored 13 goals in the Champions League this season from an XG of 3.54. How? This is incredible. That's why he is Kareem the Dream. Now, he does go on in an additional tweet to say that that, was a, that 3.54 XG was according to FootMob. His XG at other sites, FB ref, is higher, like 6.7. Okay. So he says, in reality, the true XG might be somewhere in the middle, 4.5, something like that. But he scored 13 goals from an XG of 4.5. That tells me, not because we've seen all these goals, doesn't tell me that he's getting lucky. It tells me that he is scoring goals of a ridiculous degree of difficulty, which speaks to his talent and That's how what incredible I said about the, the first highlight. Goal. Right, which the highlight reel that he has compiled in this tournament is spectacular. Yeah, he's in such a confident frame of mind right now that he's involved with the ball on the right hand side of the field in the lead up to that that goal at two one, mm. and he plays it off. The minute it comes to Furlan Mendy. His arm extends like this, as if just put it in there. Just put it in. Mm. Doesn't have to be a great ball. I will make something out of it. And sure enough, he's coming out then absolutely just... they And they know. Real Madrid know. There is there is muscle memory in sport. There just is. And they know, right, we're back in this now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whatever happens, we're back in this. And that's why psychologically... Can you imagine if it was the... I, I, I allowed myself to think about, to lament... The away goals rule. Imagine if this was the away. Guys, we just, uh, we need to score one at the Bernabeu. Just one. And we're going through. Yeah. Stunning. Yeah. Um, I also saw with pertaining to Benzema after his second goal in this game, caught offside Twitter erupted just a little bit, JJ. Panenka! Yeah, quite a bit actually. Because you of, will sub people who do that. <laughs> one of my, I just spoke last week about my tenants of football the in swingers, um, the uh, now hatred of the, well, not just now, I've always, but I vented about the, the loan rules. Yes. Um, and of course, my thoughts on the Panenka. It looks cool, it certainly looks cool. Um, but there's never a reason to do it. If and, you, I, and if I were a manager and a player of mine did it, I'd, I'd run out on the field, I'd yank him out of there. Especially a player who had a fairly miserable recent record at the penalty spot. So that's what I wanted to talk about. Because I almost wonder if this gives him the excuse to do it in a weird way. So, because so Benzema, no, nothing else is working. He's, he's missed two penalties at the weekend. I believe he's missed four this season. That's it's a lot. lot. It is a lot. That's a lot, especially when you've just missed two. And now only a few days later, you're going to take an enormous one in a Champions League semifinal. Like, I almost feel like it's like, okay, well, maybe he's nervous doing it the other way. Like, his recent success hasn't been there. It's been all failure in in his recent mind of of how that's gone. So, like, maybe doing something different like that makes him calmer in some way. Like, if there was ever a moment to try Panenka, maybe this is the time to do it when, like, the other way isn't working for you. I don't know if he could be calm, especially with the height he got on that Panenka. (laughs) Well, I that, mean, look, it wasn't exactly Zidane in the World Cup final, but it was close. It was a floaty one. And you, you kind of want... 
it wasn't exactly I remember seeing I can't remember what league it was in it certainly wasn't a high standard Andrew but I remember a goalkeeper the Penenka got fluffed so badly like clipped so badly that he he goes into a half dive and is able to reload and get up and catch it <laughs> yeah it's Jeez. that's that's how bad it got clipped a taxi I, yeah taxi for <laughs> lower league man um I gotta dig that video out for the for the animals yeah, no, I'd like to see it as well. Um, so while we're talking about Benzema, the um, this strike partnership that is now formed between him and Vinny. Your boy, who you called, what, three years ago, I will two say, years I ago? Was, if anyone is allowed to refer to him as Vinny, I feel like a friend of his. Um, <laughs> I was in on him very early. You were. When it, when it wasn't clear. like it, it was clear that there was otherworldly skill there, but it was so raw. And so unrefined. And, I mean, to be frank, it was really frustrating. And this guy that he's now formed this partnership with in Benzema, I mean, JJ, when was it? I was reading uh, Graham Hunter, who was reflecting on it. And um, I think it was back in, in October of 2020. It was Real Madrid and Borussia Mönchengladbach. And Gladbach was up. And there was a moment where a microphone on the side of the field caught Benzema talking, I think, to Ferland Mendy. And he's talking about Vinicius. And he says, stop passing him the ball. It's like he's playing for them. Oh, wow. And, he, and Vinicius at the time was like 18? Yeah, he was very... He was a kid. Yeah. And Benzema, this got picked up on a microphone. It was a big deal. It was a Champions League, not, uh, not knockout stage, still group stage, but still a big deal. He had to kind of talk it, walk it back a little bit. But like, that's a moment. Imagine being 18 and someone has established in this sport, as Kareem Benzema has just said that about you, on by accident, on on global television. And it's everywhere, it's in every media outlet. Like For him to kind of, like, keep his confidence at the level that he did and not really have that phase him, says something about uh, Vinicius. To hear that's got to hurt so much. Oh, I, can, I can't imagine. Crestfallen. And, the um, one, I think and that- just, like, to go from that moment to where we are now, where... I mean, how many strike partnerships are you fearing more than than those two? I mean, like maybe Neymar, Mbappe, or Messi. No, I, I don't think you fear them. I don't, I don't know. I mean, Sal- well, you do fear Salamane, them. I guess, would, is in the conversation. But I, I mean, the way they're playing right now. I mean, Lewandowski, Muller, but it might be these two. Yeah, the way they're going. Certainly, and I think I I don't know what happened. I suppose development, getting older, you know, Definitely. P- players, they they begin to, you know, he's it's not like he's not getting good, pretty good coaching. But the point is, it could have gone a different way. I could have, yeah, and especially the pressure that's there. Um, but I, I, I'm trying to remember, was it that year that he had a particularly difficult classical at home? I, I, I'd have to go back and look at it, but I think he had multiple. He, he was played in a couple of times on the left hand side. And he had multiple stepovers and, you know, chances, side nets, stuff like that. And, and he looked like he had the weight of the world on his shoulders. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, it, you know, it's the passage of time as much as, as anything, getting that little bit of maturity. But you, you're right. He's, that partnership that they formed, he also, he looks more in tune with what Benzema is doing and the runs and moves he makes. Of course, he which should. is natural. Yeah, they play it together, but like you said, the the passage of time. Yes, it is the passage of time. Uh, Graham Hunter he wrote this about them, and th- he wrote this a week and a half ago after uh, the, their three two comeback against Sevilla. 
uh, Graham Hunter wrote, in Seville, Benzema was also uh, making it 86 goals that he and Vinicius have either scored or assisted for Real Madrid this season. That's a, draw, a dropping total, given that it involves someone, Vinicius, whose highest goal total in any previous Spanish season was six. It's a better total of goals and assists this season than Lewandowski and Muller at Bayern Munich, Messi and Mbappe at PSG, and nearly 30 better than Salah and Mane at Liverpool. Right. This is incredible dominance from these two right now. They are locked in, and it's it's a joy to watch. It really is. Well, it depends if you're a Man City fan or not. We should probably mention Man City played incredibly well <laughs> and won the game. We should mention you're right. that. Like, I, I, you're I ta- right. There was times when what City did was absolutely breathtaking. It was just, And Fernandinho, as much as his soul left his body when he was getting skinned by Vinicius Jr., he played one of the best crosses you like you're likely to see onto the head like Phil Foden could have walked in there and allowed it to hit him in the face and it would have gone into the net it was that accurate yeah um so City that that'll be another thing for Guardiola another source of frustration was I can't remember was it Carragher said it maybe it was on the CBS broadcast have you ever seen a team play as well as that and should have won the game or should have been up maybe like three or four nil at half time and then I've conceded three. That's the thing. Is like it's hard. You're right. They won. I have to keep reminding myself that it's hard to think of it in those terms because, in a weird way, this game felt a little bit like the recent Clasico, the Barcelona Real Madrid, where we were almost annoyed with Barca for not you having scored more. You were particularly annoyed. And I remember think I remember I said on this podcast after this game, like, you know, that's an that's an amazing Barcelona win. They'll remember it for the rest of their lives. But like, just imagine if Real Madrid had been scoring too. This is this game is the actualization of that. This is that. This is what I was talking about. Like had Bars had Real Madrid been scoring that day, we it'd be a weird it'd be a weird one to talk about because of the number of goals Barca wasted. And Man City kind of it's the same. And Real Madrid did score on this day. The XG philosophy had the full time XG. Man City three point zero eight. Real Madrid one point six six. I feel like the three point zero eight. Not questioning. You know, I, I don't know how they tabulated this one exactly, but it, it feels and that, it feels conservative. Yeah, but what's more is the number for Real Madrid. I mean, I assume that's not non-penalty XG, right? That includes their penalty, so that boosts that number up significantly. So, I mean, that think about that. That tells even more of the story that this was this was somewhat one-sided in the way Manchester City dominated huge stretches of this game. But again, the 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 moments, the individuality that is there within right. that Real Madrid team, it's its its amazing. So then let's talk about Manchester City and, I mean, getting to the crux of what we're kind of saying here is they're defending. Uh, is that the crux of what we're saying? Well, let's think about the goals that Real Madrid scored. Right. And, like, yeah, they were, they were great. I mean, look, if you want to say that the Benzema one was just down to pure individual brilliance, sometimes you tip your hat. I don't think the defending was particularly bad on that. Right, I'm saying that that one, okay, I'm willing to say that sometimes you just got to look at a guy and say, yeah, that was not much I could have done there. Um, but, like, the Vinicius goal. All right, so obviously there's, there's the Fernandinho part of it. But like I said, he's still got about 50-plus yards to run at goal. What is Amrick Laporte doing? What is he doing? Yeah. So at a certain point you have to commit. You're gonna you're actually gonna do this. You're actually gonna let you, him go but, in but on goal see, alone. He's you, thinking that Ruben Diaz is gonna make up that ground. He's never going yeah, to. Yeah, and did you see the, the 
Did you see the run that Benzema made though? That took the two city defenders very central as well. Yeah, but that was that was. But once you get to the eighteen yard box, it's like okay, well, some Ruben Diaz is not getting there. The gam- it's on me now, and I got to take my chances that they cover Benzema behind. The gamble was that okay, he's going to be coming in at an angle. The goalkeeper will have that angle. What we can't do is let a simple cut back to Benzema, who will score. So there's two tracking defenders there. I think they don't want to. I think. I think you're being too kind. I think the run of Benzema dictates a lot of what happens there. Also, City have kind of found themselves as they do playing that high line in behind, and once Fernandinho's beaten, it's it's open space because there's so many committed to get high in that position. Mm-hmm. This is not the first time we've seen this, Andrew. May I cast you back to the? COVID-addled Champions League of 2020 when they went out against Leon, And in Leon, we spent a podcast afterwards talking about these channels that if you get in behind City, either with a ball or a pass, they can be got at. Right, but the difference here is there were, like those channels, there was no one behind. There were here. Yeah. Laporte was back. He just had to cut the angle. I get what you're saying about Benzema behind him, but there was another defender. And at a certain point, you just have to take the risk because Vinicius is about to go in alone. Yeah, He didn't. He never committed. I the know, whole way, he never committed. I know what you're going to say, and you're going to talk about City conceding goals over their last few games. And well, you're, you're going to stretch that a little bit. But I, I just want to say to you, well, you say it first, and then I will well, no, no, I, strike so you I, down. I was going to ask the question about with Manchester City's defending of late, is there cause for concern? They gave up three in this one against Real Madrid. They gave up three versus Liverpool in the FA Cup, two versus Liverpool on April 10th. So I was going to mention that, but I, I'm I'm only bringing that up just to kind of create the conversation. Right. Because I don't, like, I'm not in, I'm actually not entirely worried about their defending. I think that those two teams, Liverpool twice and Real Madrid, are, let's be honest, we're talking about two of the top, three to five teams in the world, right. they're going to score goals. You know, For whatever you want to say about the style that Atletico Madrid plays, they are a great team. They got held goalless. Not a ton of chances, really. I mean, there were a couple at the end, but mm. like not a ton that even really come to mind. Like, So if you, go, if you take away Liverpool and Real Madrid, like I said, two of the best teams in the world, City have given up three goals since February 26th. That's amazing. All yeah. right? Ele- Eleven games. One versus United, one versus Southampton, one versus Watford, and then yes, those other three count, and they're but they're also extraordinarily important games. But they're great teams, and City by and large have been recently pretty strong defensively. Yeah, and I think if you look at uh, and it's a point of comparison because of the way the teams play. Liverpool and Manchester City play this high line where they are going to be always trying to be on the front foot, always trying to press in zones. Jurgen Klopp has long since kind of just given up the fact that there will be chances. Mm-hmm. And Guardiola's first line of defence is to have the ball. That means they can't do anything. Liverpool, I mean, you know, they conceded two against City in the FA. Uh, prior to the, obviously, the shutouts against United and Everton. You know, two against City, three against Benfica, two again against City. Um, you know, they conceded away in Benfica. So, there will be pockets and there will be times when these teams are going to concede You goals. can't expect a clean sheet every game. No, it's, it's, not, not, it's not going to happen, especially at this point in the season. Add in a, just a few injuries, add in a little bit of fatigue, and add in the systems they play, and that's why that's happened. But that, but 
if you were going to be concerned, you did just hit on it. Like, you could say, okay, they, they've been fine of late. They've played good teams. They've given up some goals. But against the teams that they should be beating, they don't. They, it's clean sheets galore. But, like, moving forward, there are – like, Fernandinho was playing fullback against Real Madrid. All right? That's in no one's plans. So I don't think it's any, in anyone's – John Stones was playing it before that. That's in no one's plans. So we talk about injuries a lot and whether or not they are reasons or excuses for poor performance. And we're, we're towing a line here. Moving forward, if some of these players don't start now, Jao Cancelo missed this game because of card accumulation, so he'll be back and he's he's fine and he's one of the best defenders in the world, so that's great. Um, but you know, at center, no, back, I can see what you're saying. I can see what you're saying. That, th- those are fair concerns, but again, uh, I mean, what's what's Cordiola supposed to do? You know? Yeah, I know. I mean, he'll, he'll get his fullback back, which is important. And look, I think Zinchenko was fine. Like, I don't think he really. Um, was a problem. I'm generally good with him playing. Yeah. Um, Ruben Diaz obviously is back, so I think they'll be. I still think they'll be okay moving forward. I do. Um, this but, is uh, this is Rory's little uh, little ending to his piece in the New York Times, which I thought was very good. There is no data point, no vignette, no piece of analysis that will adequately explain how Manchester City could beat Ancelotti's team so comprehensively and yet leave the tie pose poised so delicately. Real Madrid does not make sense, not in the Champions League, and all you can do is allow yourself to be washed away by it. I think there is there is a lot in that. What's the Is it ethos or pathos? I always confuse the two. The history of the Tottenham, JJ. Yeah. The, I mean, the opposite is also true with clubs like Real Madrid that just... I don't know. It's just baked into their way of of their culture. Mourinho's talked about this too. Remember, he was slagging, of course, slagging off his own team, Manchester United. So he was trying to say that it was fine that they went out in the Champions League round of sixteen against Sevilla, and that this was normal. And he talked about heritage. <laughs> there is a belief in football. I talked about muscle memory, heritage, history, and. Maybe it's something that suddenly courses through you on the big nights and you are not quite invincible. They did lose the game, but you're <laughs> never, ever out of it. Never. Certainly true. And we go from that to the other Champions League semifinal first leg. If you're going to talk Two about... 2-0 to Liverpool. If you're going to talk about... Ah, time for a break. Big European nights. I mean, I used to joke on this podcast that it's it's actually written into the bylaws of the game that they, they must win all night European fixtures <laughs> at that ground. Yeah. 2-0. Uh, basically, it was, I mean, if I were writing the headline for this, I would just say two minutes from hell if you're Villarreal. I mean, the 53rd own goal on a wild <laughs> series of bizarre deflections uh, followed a couple minutes later by Sadio Mane's tap-in. Um, Andrew, and the there wo- you are. Yeah, the way Valencia played, which was they didn't deviate from what they did against Bar- uh, Bayern Munich from what I saw anyway. Uh they they have a wrinkle on the park the bus and the wrinkle is we will try and play through your press and Liverpool were pretty good at pinning them in however the transition from not being able to play out losing the ball and then transitioning to, de- to defence and being compact was really good by Villarreal so they, they limited what Liverpool could do it was nil-nil at half time and sometimes you do need a little bit of luck now don't get me wrong, Liverpool fans. I'm not saying it's a lucky win. No. But to get that opening, the crack to open the door was 
like you said, a bizarre set of deflections. And a goalkeeper who looked, really, who looked nervous all night long. And young, nervous goalkeepers are a theme for me in this podcast. Well, I'll oh. be talking about another one later on. Uh, the system is predicated on no mistakes, Andrew. You can't make mistakes. So if your goalkeeper is going to palm one behind his head into the net, then that's a problem. The deflection was na- <laughs> the deflection was nasty, but he could a top goalkeeper deals with that, and he's not at this point in time a top goalkeeper. He's had a good tournament, has he not? He's, I mean, he's in a good team, but you can't have that mistake. No, of course you just not. Can't. And once that happens, 55th minute, lovely little bit of interplay, uh, Sadio Mane slides one home, and that's it. Now, as was pointed out on the CBS broadcast, 1-0, great result for Villarreal. 3-0, probably the tie's over. 2-0. Not good. Not, it's not good It's for not good. Now, their fans at the end of the match... The the support and enthusiasm from them was really something to behold. It was a pretty cool scene. They were amazing all game in the away end. By the way, I've called Ruli a young, nervous young goalkeeper. He's 29. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good Lord. Okay, he's not a good goalkeeper then. Um, yeah, but it, they can at least, in their minds, go back to the yellow submarine and think about winning it. They get one goal in the first 30 minutes, 35. Like, that's all they need. Now, the problem is, like... Liverpool, I mean, do you envision a world where Liverpool are shut out? I I don't see it. Okay, well then do you envision a world where Villarreal put three on Liverpool? I don't think so. I also don't know. It's not good. Well, right now I don't. Um, But like I said, get one early, things can get nervous. But they'll have to come out and play. And that's that's another theme for later in the podcast. Teams, at some point, have to play some football. Atleti had to play some football. Everton had to play some football at the weekend. And they didn't do it. Everton didn't do it at the weekend. And Athletic against um, Manchester City left it too late. So what are they going to do? Are they going to rip up the manual and say, all right, we're going to actually go on the front foot here and attack Liverpool? That's going to leave them... I think you just have to pick your spots. I think it... So just play the same way and then hope for an opportunity and take, your, it, take it, your opportunity. It might be a combination of styles, but that it might be that for 30 minutes. Then it might... Maybe they change something up coming out of the locker room, you know, from the 45th to the 60th and right. try to surprise. I don't know. But it's hard. You know, a zebra doesn't change its stripes, whatever the cliches are. Like, it's this is what's gotten them to this point. I know when you're down two goals, you have to change something, and, and maybe they will. But I don't know. We'll, we'll see. A couple notes on this, JJ. Uh, I was surprised by this. Uh, Liverpool, so they've won nine Champions League games this season. Uh, it's actually the most that they've ever won in a single European campaign. Is it? Yeah. Interesting. I guess they had a bunch of draws along the way, maybe. Uh, maybe, yeah. 2019, even when they won it, they had some dodgy results in the, the group stage. Yeah. And like when they beat AC Milan on penalties, does that go down officially as a draw? That goes down as a draw. Right, so, yeah, I guess. It, but in our hearts, we know it wasn't. I, by the way, the fact that that goes down as officially a draw is. It's a bit silly. Like what? Penalties. If penalties are the deciding thing, then that doesn't even make sense. Yeah. I, I, I guess know. because the the score line at the end of the at the end of the 120 minutes has to be. I don't care. Okay. Uh, and one other, a little mini trivia question for you. Test your Liverpool fandom. 
If you get it wrong, you are clearly not the fan I thought you were. Uh, JJ, Sadio Mane scored. He is now tied this player for the most all-time uh, Liverpool goals in Champions League semifinals. In Champions League semifinals? R- recent player who is no longer on the team. Champions League semifinals. Yeah, three goals Mane has accumulated in, in Champions League semifinals. So has this player. Genie Wijnaldum. Yes. Hmm. What a smug. Hmm. If you could all see his face right now. No, but my, my mind was racing, I think, because straight away you think of a striker. Right. But And then you said he's not on the Therein team. Therein lies the genius of the question uh. and the genius of my hints. Uh, so, yes, 2-0 uh, for Liverpool. And um, I feel bad. We did like 35 minutes on Man City-Real Madrid. I don't have a ton more on this I one. I know, but do the people really want yeah, 35 right. minutes no. on stout defending? <laughs> no. Probably Plus, not. it's half time. There's another leg to come. You know, yeah. there could be a yellow submarine remontada to talk about. Hopefully not for me, but so there... many, so many Raquel May memories coming back. Yeah, they're a special little team. Yeah, <laughs> they wouldn't stop banging on about the population, like comparing it to. Like they keep doing it. It's the third year of population talk. You know, ever since they won... They're like the Iceland of this competition. Yeah, ever since they won the Europa League, it's been, last season, it's been just population talk. I I often wonder, like, does that, what does that actually matter? Like, I get why it matters in, in, like, international competition, because, like, your pool of talent is literally that. Yeah. But, like... Viria, none of these guys are from Viria. Like, what does it even matter? They're from all over the world. I suppose like, it's the size of the of the yeah, I guess, area, the but club. Like, when the Green Bay Packers play the New York Giants, like that's not really a storyline. Don't forget Leicester City. We heard a lot about the town of Leicester. I'm okay learning about new places, yeah. but like the population, is that even in any way a factor in in this? I mean, I guess the togetherness maybe of the oh, community no, the, certainly is, but the resources of the of the club as well. You know, it's not, it's not a, it, it, that does matter. You know, it's not, it's not a, it doesn't have a massive stadium. They're, they're not going to be pulling huge amounts of sponsorship. You know, it's not like it's a, an enormous tourist destination. Yeah, I suppose. I think all those things matter. Yeah, all right. Fair enough. Um, all right. Well, let's, it's halftime for us as well. So let's go ahead. We'll take a break. When we come back, JJ, uh, the, the long-standing segment uh, of weekly superlatives, um, we'll do that next. Right here. More caught offside still to come. Oh, back now on caught offside. JJ, where did you watch uh, Liverpool Villarreal? I'm always curious. I, I like to live my life vicariously through yours sometimes. Yeah, no, I watched it at, at home because I knew we were recording the podcast. Going out means there might be a beer. It's not wise to be coming on, slurring your words and just being... <laughs> So I watched it at home. I also like to take notes, as you, as you know. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, there was a, it was interesting because there was a little nervousness in the crowd. You know, of course, that's, little, that's normal. Yeah, so when we're in around the. Thankfully, they scored before the hour mark. I feel like the hour mark is 65, 60, 65 minutes in a game. You're expected to be winning. That's when you start getting a little bit of sweat. Yeah, that's up. when you start playing the clock as much as the opponent. Mm. And, and and again, they 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 tried to do their time wasting, take their time on 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 goal kicks, all that. The only difference I would say in their s housery is that they do, you know, they do try and play a little bit of football. 
Uh, let's see, JJ. Weekly superlatives. It's a classic. It is. It's one of the long-standing staples of the program. Um, it's quite. It's pretty simple. It's basically just over the course of the past week, I just have a few categories, and and we'll just go through them. I felt like it could be a fun rather than sometimes we just you know not that there's anything wrong with going game by game, but sometimes I want to do something different. Sure, you want to mix it up a bit. You want to freshen things up. That's all I ever wanted, and so we'll do that. And so you have a jingle then? Um, no, I don't. I just we're gonna just do it. Right. Uh, that's disappointing. People enjoy your jingles. I always, when I present a new segment, I always say, and this could be the jingle. Blankety blank being a classic example of that. <laughs> your lone segment. Yes. All right. Fine. Yeah. Here, here we go, everybody. It's time for weekly superlatives. You just played that because it's great. And here we go. All right, so the first one, JJ, the best thing I saw this week. You want to go first? Yeah, because I've I've mushed it into a couple of things. I have, I have two as well. All right, so, so let me do this. Um, I talked about young goalkeepers. I got that wrong. Uh, <laughs> Ruley is 29. What am I talking about? But Aaron Ramsdale is very much a young goalkeeper. And did you see how he celebrated Bruno Fernandes' missed penalty? Yeah. Did you see it? Screaming and roaring, and then he does like a lunge jump. Like, rawr. Unbelievable. Yeah. And this is a guy who's building a reputation. Like, he'll banter with the fans. He'll, he, like, he's very, very chatty. And what's the interesting mix for me about this is, and why I found it so hilariously funny is, I, you know, he's obviously made a couple of famous saves, mm-hmm. that Leicester one and, Etc. Um, I don't think he's that good. Oh, really? I don't think he's that good. I think there's. Oh, like, wow. I mean, the first half where he kicks the ball, like randomly just kicks the ball straight to Bruno Fernandes, who gets the glare from Ronaldo because he doesn't score. Um, there's a mistake in him. There's an error. I actually. I'm. For me, the jury's out on him. So you add that kind of. That brashness. And you add the fact that there might be some moments of hilarity. Uh, Arsenal fans probably don't want to hear me say that. I think but he's. I think he's a good keeper. Mm. I do. I'm not. I'm not convinced yet. I'm not sure. He's wow. as good as people think. Okay. Um. I still. I still have reservations when I watch him. But he's tremendous fun. He's. And that was. That was just great because there will be people who say to you, "Oh, you know, unsportsmanlike." That's not the kind of thing we want to see in our game, in our league. No, it's exactly the kind of thing we want to see. I mean, it's see. the bat flip of soccer. The old heads will hate it. The, the social media generation will think it's cool. And, and it's what makes the world go round. Yeah, so I, I really enjoyed that. Um, Honourable mentions uh, for the guy who constructed a ball, an actual soccer ball, and put it on TikTok out of pieces of old football boots. Uh, Say this again? So many of our listeners contacted me over this. So there was a guy, and it shows him cutting up an old like pair of uh, Adidas Copa Mundials, mm-hmm. and he, he cuts up the good leather section of them into like one of the panels of a soccer ball, and then he gets another boot and another boot, and it's all these old torn boots. He gets the best parts of them, and he creates an actual soccer ball out of all the bits of the old cleats. Interesting. That it was so cool. It was really, really. I mean, you occasionally see things 
I don't know where this is going on TikTok, and I'm concerned about where it's going. But this was this had a happy ending. It was very, very good. As you're talking here, I just wanted to look up and see if there's any pertinent stats on Ramsdale that kind of place him. Okay. Uh, I would say save percentage is a fairly important statistic. All right. He's fifth in the Premier League. Okay. Uh, the guys ahead of him, uh, Jose Sa of Wolves, uh, David, uh, David Raya of Brentford, uh, Edward Mendy and Allison, and then Ramsdale. Okay. Pretty good company. I, I, and I'm, I'm happy to be wrong about this. I just get that feeling right now. I don't know what Arsenal supporters think of him. Um, they probably love him. His goals against per 90 minutes, he's sixth. So he's in that top third. All right. Um, I think he's, I don't know, I think he's a good keeper. I really do. I, maybe I'm still holding the reservations that lots of people had when Arsenal went out and paid whatever was it, $35 million for him. Um, when, right, which felt strange because like they had paid a lot for Burnt Leno. Yeah. Um, but in the end, I think he's won that job. Like I think it's it's obviously his, and I think he, I think they, I don't know. I wouldn't. I mean, look, those stats don't reflect anything about how he is with his feet, things like that. But as, I, as a shot stopper, I think Arsenal fans they don't look at their goalkeeper and say we have a weakness there. I, I wouldn't think that. Maybe, but I, I, I just get that proper football man feeling. There might be a mistake in him. There's a mistake in him. There's a mistake in all of us, guys. We're only human. Uh, Luis Diaz controlling the ball midair with the wraparound foot against against Everton. That was... So, and then goes on to burn Seamus Coleman. It was just beautiful. He's jumping. He stays up on his left and puts his right round the back and controls it with his right. Just, just gorgeous. And everyone knows what I'm talking about. And finally, the... There is another Paul Gascoigne documentary out. BBC did a two-parter last week. If you want to watch it, it's on BBC iPlayer. You'd use a VPN to what watch What are that. you even talking about? It's, it's, you go on the BBC website. They have their stuff for streaming. It is obviously geo-locked. What are you... What, <laughs> what are you are on you? about? What are, I'm just saying how people can watch... Go on your BBC iPlayer, insert the VPN, the geo-lock... Like, what? Are you... St- are you serious? Most people are just nodding along right now. No one. They no are. one knows Listen, what you're this, saying. BBC iPlayer. You, all right, let me get out my VPN and my geo-targeting, oh, and we'll, and we'll watch it together. Anyway, it's also up on, someone's put it up on YouTube. Some Thank cl- you. Some clever you guy. You couldn't have just gone straight to that. Because they're you not, have to sound smarter than all no, of us. No, they're not supposed to put it up there. All right? I was trying not to get us into some kind of controversies. <laughs> Anyway, all right. It's it's very very good, and people should watch it um, because it takes the angle of how the tabloid press in England from the 1990 World Cup pretty much targeted him. And there's one line where a reporter from the News of the World, who was paid his job was to follow Gascoigne to do all hack his phones, do all oh, those wow. things. Yeah, and Gascoigne was diagnosed as having like paranoia. He had to go go and get mental health treatment for it, and the. The moment where the journalist says from the news of the world, he was right to be oh paranoid. Oh my god! In- incredible, and it, it captures a moment that I don't know. I the nineties were a crazy time. Gascoigne was portrayed in a certain light, mm-hmm. sometimes rightly, but a lot of the time, what the newspapers did was just completely scurrilous. Well, so that's Gaza on the BBC. If you can watch it on the iPlayer, fine. If you can't, I'll. I'll send you the link on YouTube. How about that? Just come to me, at JJ Devaney on Twitter. Nice. Uh, a couple things I have, JJ. First one, let's uh, for best things I saw this week, let's let's start with this. Last minute of the 90. Alonso's cross. And it's finished off by Christian Pulisic. 
moments after Chelsea looked to have squandered the points, the American off the bench to surely score the winner. So I mentioned this. I mean, look, this newsflash, everyone. We're interested in what this guy does. So I, I'm bored of him. So I, well, all right, relax. I just want to have a quick conversation about it, and you, I'd like for you to be engaged. <laughs> Here's why I bring it up, because I don't know if you have seen this as well on U.S. soccer Twitter. Yeah. The tenor of the he-needs-to-leave conversation has definitively picked up yeah, in recent sure. weeks. There's no question about that. And, and there's always been an undercurrent of that conversation, since basically since his arrival there. Mm-hmm. But it's picked up. But, like, you know... The only way he's going to be able to kind of like get back into this team is by making the most of his opportunities. And he's not getting a ton of them. So for him to come on, score the winner in the 90th when things had been shaky for Chelsea in recent performances, that was an important goal for him. It was an important goal for the club to kind of steady themselves. Um, And so I just wonder a little bit more now about this should he stay or should he go conversation. Um, Because like... Okay, fine. Maybe a change of scenery for this guy would be a good thing. Mm. Um, but like, where's he gonna go? Like, he we view him as the best American player right now. You could maybe some people think McKinney, whatever. But like, I say for me, the answer is Pulisic. So I want the best American player to be playing at a certain tier of club, which Chelsea are very much a part of. They're one of the best clubs in the world. There's no question about it. Um, and so like. Do American fans want him to take some sort of step back to uh, to the the tier below where okay he'll be getting regular minutes undoubtedly but like I don't know I kind of want and tier of, below tier, tier below you were talking about some mid table sides well not I mean I don't mean to, right now like Tottenham Aston Villa I don't know if I have Tottenham and Villa in the same tier but I find no, that actually, a little insulting actually Villa but, Villa come to think of it, has fallen down the tiers yeah. a bit. Uh, but I'm just saying, like, where is it that American fans want him to go where they're like, okay, well, he'll play there. Like, yeah. if you want him to remain in this top, this upper, upper echelon of soccer, which I do, then he's going to have to fight for his spot wherever he goes. So, you know, if you think it's just down to a change of scenery, maybe a different manager that he'll connect with differently than, than Tuchel, uh, a different style, okay, that's, another, that's one conversation. But if it's just strictly about I want him to go somewhere where he can play – then I don't know if the, if the conversation is as simple as he just needs to leave Chelsea to do that. Tuchel did allude to his lack of playing time coming out of the fact he was away around, around the world, basically for CONCACAF World Cup qualifying at, mm-hmm. at vital times. And that, that impacted his minutes. Yeah, I, and, and we've seen how injury on World Cup duty has, um, has done that as well. I hear what you're saying. It's important to note Chelsea aren't in a position to sell him now anyway. Because of the well, sanctions. I mean, that is that is that true. is so, and and also, their new owner, whoever it will be, will not be Roman Abramovich. They will most likely be American owners. There isn't a chance that the first thing an American owner will do is to offload this guy. I can't see it. They won't do it. He's not that bad in terms. He's not that. He's not in a position at the club where. All right, we got to fix problems, and and Pulisic's name is on the problem. No, sheet. right, I agree with that. So I don't think he's going anywhere. To be perfectly honest with you, yeah, they he, also don't have that much money. Whoever's coming in won't have Abramovich money, so they'll probably look to say, "Well, what's our what are our assets here? Um, who do we want to keep? Who do we want to let go?" And I think he'll be on the keep list for his age, 
for his ability and thirdly for possibly for his nationality. Like, I just, I can't, I can't see it. I really can't. So it has, it has picked up a lot, um, that kind of chatter about him leaving Chelsea, but I'm kind of with you. I think if you want him play, our players playing at the best clubs right now, where he is, is the, probably the best available option yeah. for him. I guess, I guess, yeah, That my basic point is that it is not end of days if he stays at Chelsea. And what other big club right now, apart from Manchester United, does he go to and start? It's hard to say. Yeah. That's what I'm, that's my point is like, it's, it's not a necessarily a lock at any of that, uh, of those, that tier. Uh, the other one I wanted to mention, JJ, my, my obsession, James Ward-Prowse, he, he can't stop doing these wonderful things. Um, two goals over the weekend, his fourth goal of the season from a direct free kick in the Premier League this season. He now has eight since the start of last season. Uh, the next closest is two, which is just like that guy. It's ga- amazing. It's, uh, Rafinha, James Madison, and Kieran Trippier, which is amazing The Trippier's in that list just from like, I mean, how many games has he been in the Premier League since the start of last season? That's He's great at it, too, I guess is what that tells you. But uh, Ward-Prowse, 14th career goal scored from a direct free kick in the Premier League. Only David Beckham has more in the history of the Premier League with 18. He's going to catch him. I think he is, too. I think he's going to catch him. His technique is just so good. It's ridiculous. And even the second goal that he scored. So he scored the first one on a free kick. The second one wasn't. It was open play, but it kind of was. Like, the way the ball fell to him, the distance, like, and the way he hit it was as clean as could be. He is... I love the guy, man. I'm I'm a fan. I'm who's, a fan. Who's your favorite free kick takers? I Him. Would, I would say, he's well, he's getting up there. Uh, Beckham for me, Ian Hart, and who was it? Was it Janino? Janino, Leon Janino. I mean, Roberto Oof. Carlos. No. Right. Oh, never. He, he only he, has like maybe the most famous one of all. He time. has the most famous one, but that one made him the most self-indulgent free kick taker for about a decade. How many times I saw him do that long stuttery run up the half the length of a football field only to whack it into the wall. Oh, no. Stop. Um, yeah, I'm trying to remember some of the other ones. I mean, that's a solid list that we put together there. Yeah. But yeah, Ward, he's on the list. Ward Prowse is on the list. The, the Sine- Beckham Sine- one, I think Sinisa Mihailovic was good as well. Okay. Um, yeah. All right, so uh, with that now, the worst thing that we saw this week. Um, can I go quickly here? Yeah, go quickly. I have, uh, I'm going to come back to the United States of America, to MLS, and I want to talk about the New England Revolution, JJ. I, uh, <laughs> I, I did not anticipate needing to scroll all the way down to number 22 in MLSsoccer.com's power rankings to find them. Ooh. Okay? Like, that's where we're at now. Yeah. Um, they already have as many losses this season as they had all of last season. It is April. All right. Two, this is two wins. This is not good. Um, now, look. Obviously, you know, I, I, I come at this somewhat from the perspective of like a a, a mistake that I might have made in our preseason. <laughs> Um, preview when I thought that... Not a mistake. You were going on an unbelievable regular season last yeah, season. Yeah, I thought that they were prime to kind of, to, in many ways, run it back. And I thought that they were prime to potentially be the number one candidate to win the CONCACAF Champions League, which, by the way, starts to, the final starts tonight for the Seattle Sounders, who a lot of people believe this, this could be the one. Yeah. Um, but I thought New England could be that team with how loaded they were and how great they were last season. But like what I should have seen is that there there were some elements here that maybe I could have looked at 
that indicated possible drop off, like you know, playing in the Concacaf Champions League, yeah. having their head turned a little bit with that. Tejon Buchanan. Now there are other things that were harder to foresee, like their injury situation. Okay, like Henry Kessler's injury has killed them at the back. Matt Turner's situation is wild with his multiple foot injuries. Their goalkeeping statistics, JJ. If you look at the metrics of goalkeeping, like it's it's horrifying what they are with him versus what they are without him. The, like This is a situation where the numbers do not lie. They're getting killed in that department with that player not being there. Um, you know, Defensively, they've given up late goals in attack. They are just not connecting like they did a year ago. Their non-penalty XG per 90 is 19th. Um, so like with, without Matt Turner, like I was just mentioning, their save percentage is third worst in the league. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how this gets right maybe it's as simple as injured players coming back like Gustavo Bo should be back relatively soon um Kessler should be back soon I don't think these are are that lengthy of injuries but like they've got on their resume this season they they have losses already to enter Miami when Miami was winless yeah um you know they just lost this past weekend FC Dallas a team that just fired their manager midweek the previous week New England was not losing those games last year so this is it's still relatively early and I, it still wouldn't shock me. Though I still believe they'll go to the play. However bad this is, I still think they're a playoff team. But I do think we're deep enough into the season now where it's where alarm bells can be ringing. Like if you're a New England fan, it's it's you know don't let anybody talk you down anymore and say oh it's early, relax. Like no, we're deep enough in now where this is there are there's a problem here. So we'll see how how Brucey handles it. I and if they rebound. Yeah, I I I, I thought they had a brilliant. I mean. I wasn't the only one. The stats don't lie. They had a brilliant regular season last season, but when I saw them, oh, come, yeah. when I saw them come up against NYCFC, I thought the emperor has no clothes. NYCFC were so much better in the way they passed and moved the ball, and I'm wondering if if it's just kind of run out of magic for Bruce there. It's I'm not. I'm, you're yeah. not there yet. I'm not there yet. But like I said, alar- there are alarm bells. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think, like, you know, Josie Altador is hurt. Um, that's one where, I mean, God, I said things in the preseason preview about that signing that are not aging well. Um, <laughs> we'll see, but it's not good. 22nd, the team that that set the points record just, a f- like, months ago. That's that's weird, man. I don't know. Not good. Uh, let me go with mine. Uh, my worst thing I saw this week, I saw today, Uh this is Inter Milan visiting Bologna. Andrew, can you play the audio, please? Dear God. Goes without saying, but a point would be better than none for Inter. In their desperation. Oh, my word! Sansone will tap it in. Andre Radu, the standing keeper, has had a howler. And has that cost into the Scudetto? Oh, my God, that last sentence makes me sick inside. I... Just for people, obviously this is a not a visual medium. Uh, Perisic takes a throw in back to the goalkeeper. He has time to boot it or to pass it. He whiffs the ball right towards his own goal. Just horrifying. And Sansone just taps it in. I wonder if he even had to do anything. Did Sansone even have to touch the ball? Was it going to just roll in? I think he had to make sure. Yeah, I mean, he did because the right thing. Because you have to... But it might have just you been can't, going I, in. I, I believe the rule is if a throw-in goes straight in, it's not a goal. It needs to take a touch. Yeah. So I think that's why Sansoni made sure. Uh, also, he wants a goal. 
Well, yeah, no, he did the right thing, yeah. but it was that bad. It was awful, all uh, horrifying. Um, so, according to the BBC, uh, Stefano Pioli's AC Milan now need three wins and a draw because they have a head-to-head advantage over Inter from their final four games to win their first title since 2011, over a decade for Milan. Mm. Just horrifying, absolutely horrifying. The second thing uh, that I saw was Newcastle United took a photo Mm. after one of their recent games in the dressing room. One of their recent wins, I should say, as well. Ownership, Andrew, were front and centre, or the percentage ownership. Amanda Staveley and one of the Rubin brothers was there. And uh, one of the Saudi contingent of the PIF was down the front as well. And, of course, it got roundly mocked because, you know... For a, a number of reasons, the same way Arsenal got mocked for for taking photos of after games in the middle of the season where you've won. Um, but Luke Edwards of the Telegraph he defends the photo and gives a little bit of insight. Firstly, he says these team photographs have been a theme of Newcastle's renaissance under manager Eddie Howe. It was something he did at Bournemouth. Nobody really cared then. And the manager was keen to start the tradition at St. James's Park. Howe's thinking is that it helps bond players and coaching staff together. It reminds them to enjoy the feeling of victory, to savour the triumph so that they can crave more of the same. It is meant to strengthen the collective, to foster team spirit and togetherness and show supporters that everyone is in this together. It might seem odd to some, but it has worked. For Newcastle supporters, the pictures have become a symbol of new of a new club of unity, togetherness, and the excitement about what the future holds, and an enjoyable tradition in and of itself. So uh, th- that's not nonsense. What's he what he's writing there? I saw an interview with John Joe Shelby when he talked about uh, Eddie Howe coming to the club and how basically Eddie Howe's number one thing was creating this sense of family. John Joe Shelby said the one of the first things he had them all do. They got together in a team meeting, and everyone had to write down. Uh, their spouse, spouse's name, their kids' names, everyone's birthdays, because Eddie Howe wanted to make sure he had all this on file. Right. Because like, okay. he's trying to just create this Newcastle nuclear family among the entire club and and bring their families into it. Uh, so that's a real thing. I don't think, who would you say wrote that, Luke Edwards? I don't think he's just being like an apologist. I, I do believe that that is something that Eddie Howe has tried to bring to the club. Well, as Luke goes on to write, since January 22nd, Newcastle have won nine, drawn one. We'll get to all that. Oh, we're getting to all that. We'll get to all well, that. Don't it, you worry about the well, good I stuff. Sh- I should... You focus on the negative like you're so keen at doing. Yeah. I, I don't like it, but the reason I don't like it is is because uh, Eddie Howe, by the way, said he would prefer if those photos weren't yeah, I saw his press conference. put out there. So mm-hmm. there's a bit of a contradiction there. But this is so clearly sports washing. And it's also... How can we, by putting Amanda Staveley and the Ruben brothers and the PIF front and centre in this picture, what are you doing in, in Newcastle supporters' minds? You're tying them directly to the good times. Absolutely just further cementing that notion. And all the other stuff, the murders, you know, the, the dreadful human rights situation in the country, that all kind of gets pushed to the side. So I think it's cynical and I don't like it. But that doesn't mean Eddie Howe doesn't have a good reason for doing it. Right. Uh, for me, most disappointing thing I saw this week. So, JJ, um, since their Barca is back win over Real Madrid, here's what we're looking at with Barcelona. Knocked out of the Europa League by Eintracht Frankfurt. Two wins in the league, but now three losses consecutively in the league. Uh, one nil defeats to Rayo Vallecano, Real Sociedad, and Cadiz. 
all one nils. Um, what's interesting is that <laughs> this is kind of like a 19-year-old has now emerged as the keystone that was kind of keeping this club afloat. Pedri. Uh, and there's been this discussion about Barca with him and without him. With him, 10 wins, 0 losses, 2 draws this season. Without him, 8 wins, 6 losses, 7 draws. I'm sorry. That's too large of a sample size for me to be any kind of coincidence. Like That's enough That's enough there to show me that he's that important. This 19-year-old, This that's... That's really telling. And there's other good players there, of course. And I like what Barcelona have become under Xavi, but they are really reliant on a 19-year-old. Has there ever been a more important 19-year-old since... I mean, he, Pedri might be the most important 19-year-old since probably Marty McFly. You know, I'm wasn't, trying to think of important... Wasn't Marty in high school? So he would have been younger than that. Yeah. Yeah. Teenager, then, we'll say. <laughs> I mean, we could probably, I don't know, you want to go back let's to it. Like, let's... wasn't like King Tut. He was like a boy king, right? <laughs> Greta Thunberg. Okay. She's pretty important. Yeah. Uh, yeah, important teenagers. Um, uh, no joke, oh, like seriously, we had the flow chart last week. Yeah. Are Barca good? Is Pedri playing? Yes, they're the best team ever. <laughs> Is he not? There's a problem. But Ch- like there's there's stats that, so Chris Wright did it, he went in on this for ESPN FC and he, he kind of looked stuff up. Barca, they've averaged 1.39 XG in their last three La Liga games, but in the three games previous to that, with Pedri in the side, it was 2.12. Uh, they created 33 chances to 42 with Pedri in the team over that same period. I, I hope that he doesn't hit some kind of early career roadblock from an injury perspective because this guy, since the start of the 2020-21 season. He's played 74 games for Barcelona, 23 for Spain. I'm going to read you a little bit more from Chris Wright, JJ, because this is astounding to me. Okay, so just 16 days after his European championship involvement came to a close, he then joined up with Spain's under-23 Olympic team and proceeded to make a further six appearances, 559 minutes at the games in Japan as his side reached the final. This all came after he had already played 52 games in his breakthrough season with Barca, totaling 3,526 minutes on the pitch, in which time he became the youngest ever player to make 50 competitive appearances for the club. Like, too much, is, it's too much football. <laughs> did he, like... Did he have to go to the Olympics? No. I mean, like, I just, he's hes brilliant. He's a brilliant player, and his career could be legendary. But I hope that we're not heading down like... Don't say it. A Michael Owen I knew it! Don't say it! Wash your mouth, though. I just... I, You're, I don't want to see a young player's career derailed through injury. No, and... Burnout is a real thing, but I, I think. And by the way, me making that leap is way premature. I'm not saying that like that that's going to happen. You're right to, I'd, to I'd, jump me for that. I'd like to see a bit but, more. But I'm just. But when I think of young, brilliant talents who had that happen to him, he's kind of the guy you think of. Yeah, I. You know, load management is a thing we'd like to see implemented a bit here. But I hate load management. But maybe it serves. I mean, in situations like this, you know, like God, think of like. Think of the lengths that Greg Bearhalter went to at the Gold Cup. Like, I'm just not going to play anyone to appease all the European teams. Meanwhile, Spain's like, yeah, you, the 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 child, you're going right from the European Championships to to the Japanese 
Olympics. Oh wait, you played how many games this past season for Barca? Who cares? Like it's it's madness. It's, <laughs> is is there child labor law? Oh, well, he's an adult technically, I suppose. It's a lot. It's a lot. I get why everyone wants to get the most out of him because he's great for everybody that he plays for. But, but it's a lot. He's coming in at that moment where there's a desperation. Maybe not on the Spanish side, but maybe certainly on the Barcelona yeah. side. Uh, finally, to round it out, JJ, that was the uh, most disappointing. How about most surprising from this week? I didn't get to do my most disappointing, I don't think. Oh, I thought... I got to do my uh, worst oh, thing that I was saw. Worst. That was worst yeah. thing I saw. Okay. I'll do my disappointing very quickly. Um, Palace versus Leeds on Monday, Andrew. Oh. Vieira versus Marsh. There was a fair amount of talk about the rivalry between the two managers that had developed here in good old New York. Mm. Uh, but this game fell way short. It was it stank. Um, as for the relegation battle, well, hold on. Can I stop? Can we talk about that for one sec? Yeah. So I don't know if you saw any of this, but in the wake of that, because Leeds, it, it now feels like they're they're going to be they'll be all right. Mm. All right. Well, okay. May, yeah. Maybe I'm being a little premature in saying that. Yeah. But um, I was watching uh, Sky Sports after that game, and they were really everyone on the panel. It was I think Robbie Keane, Jamie Carragher. I forget who the moderator was of it but like they were all really complimentary of jesse marsh yes robbie Keane went into like the coaching here in the u.s and how like there are people don't realize how serious the level of coaching is in this country that they're from his time in mls and uh it was made you feel good it was nice yeah i mean look my american brain needs this was happy and proud hit the sally field drop you like me Sure. Yeah, a little bit of that. I get that. Yeah. yeah. Um, Leeds aren't home and hose yet, though, Andrew. And uh, Phil Hay uh, writes this in The Athletic. Leeds are much less already on the beach. The popular phrase we talk about teams at this time of year who are not going to do anything, but they're safe. Uh, rather than stuck at the airport terminal, teased by empty promises that the plane is about to take off. Nothing much was flying against Palace last night. And in contemplating the precious pile of results Leeds have stacked up, three wins, two of them thanks to added time goals, and two draws from five games, it has not been easy to explain how exactly they got here. He's basically saying that there's some kind of Jesse Marsh alchemy being worked here. Or is he saying it's a fluke? There, hmm. He, he doesn't say it. No, it, he doesn't say that. But he said, he's... no, he, he's saying whatever Marsh has done they're definitely not conceding as many goals. Right. But they're definitely not playing like this unbelievable. It's not clear exactly. Well, we don't know that they have an unbelievable team. What, what no, expectation I would agree, was No, I would there? agree with that. I would agree with that. And, and also, there's a team that's been hampered by injuries. But it's not clear to the naked eye right now what exactly is going, going right. I'm not here for your Marsh negativity, all right? <laughs> So move and on. And not be negative. Move on. I'm just saying. Oh, okay. Well, let's look at Leeds quickly. Uh, just uh, their... Uh... Actually, no, we can save that for our next our next segment. Okay, let's well, do our final segment. Most surprising thing I saw this week. I, I have two here. Do you want me to just do one quickly? Yeah, yeah. If it's, yeah sure. Yeah, because it's related. Burnley winning again. <laughs> <laughs> I was the man that said Everton are safe because I don't know where Burnley are getting the wins. They sack Sean Dyche. In comes Mike Jackson, the 23s coach. They've started to play a little bit more football and they look a heck of a lot better. Um, draw- this is not a good look for Dyche. Not a good look. No. Um, win, uh, excuse me. Draw versus West Ham. 
win against Southampton and then followed it up at the weekend with a win against Wolves at home. Wolves are a decent side. Yeah. Um, wait for this though. I did a little bit of digging. I think this is from Lancashire Live. <laughs> after, That's digging? After the Southampton win, Mike Jackson didn't know for sure that he would be in charge for the week for the game just passed at the weekend. What? Who are these owners? I haven't spoken to... The, this is what he said six days or a week ago. So prior to the Wolves game. I haven't spoken to the chairman. I've been speaking to you guys for the last half an hour and have not had a chance to speak to anyone. The chairman the other day asked us to prepare for the game today. And if the chairman asks us again to prepare for Sunday, that's where we're at. There is no meeting planned. We're in tomorrow for recovery day and a work day and the lads do... It's kind of the life of an interim manager. I I know, but look at the way they're playing. Look at the results. Well, I know, but that 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 comment was seconds after the game, right? I'm locking him in after, like immediately after. He's got to be in charge of the rest of the... I mean, unless they think they're getting like Zidane. Well, clearly after the Wolves game, now that is set. He's not going anywhere, right? Certainly. There will be no... No, and this is this is as this all transpires. This is horrifying for Everton. Yes, that's what I was going to say. And now Everton, after deciding that ninety minutes at Anfield, where they would not play any football, and just kind of hope for the best, you know, send Anthony Gordon running down the wing, and I hope he can do something. Now they have to play football, and uh, Everton have Chelsea, Leicester, Watford, uh, before Brentford, uh, Palace, and Arsenal. Burnley have Watford, Villa. Tottenham, Villa, and Newcastle, which is not easy either. But um, especially, I don't know how this is going to go. I don't know either. I think, like, do you, but Burnley will be Burnley will be targeting Watford as three points. They'll be targeting because Watford can't win at home. Uh, Aston Villa, they have at home. Am I the only one that thinks that it's this whole and we and I'm guilty of this too. I do this all the time. Unless we're looking at like City and Liverpool. I feel like the Premier League right now is like, go ahead and look at the fixture list, but like, what does it even mean? There's so, there feels like there's such randomness to so many of these results. It's so which weird. is some of what I'll get to here. It's so right. Well, you get you get to it, but I will just finish on this. It's yeah. so weird to see Everton uh, below that dotted line the first time since 1999. This is unbelievable. Um, <sighs> I don't know what to say. Like it will be a great escape. It will be a truly well, great escape. A great escape, I would think, would be like a, a I, view, I view that more as like what West Brom did those years ago. Like you're down there all season, and then in the last few weeks you're out. Like this is kind of the opposite. They've been above that line the whole season, as bad as it's been. They've been above that line. This is not a great escape. Okay. It's not good though. Did you think that was the Gordon? Incident. Penalty, no penalty. Um, so I think prior to this week, it's to this season's rule, rulings about we're going to need much more clear-cut penalties than that, guys. We are pulling up the threshold for a penalty. Okay. Before that, it's a penalty. Uh, now, now it's not. Because I, I remember the incident where Dejan Lovren is running into the corner in twenty Christmas of 2017 and and uh, with da- Dominic Calvert-Lewin, and he just puts his hand on his back. Well, the whole and, thing, and it's given as a penalty. Well, the whole thing with this is the like the intentional r- moving the court, like moving your run so it's now directly in front of the defender. Right. That's so ex- to make sure that you get tripped. That's exactly now, what the PGMOL are trying not to give. I mean, it for. I've, we've seen Salah get the like. 
it's I, I get why Everton fans would be like, oh, what what the f? This has been given thousands of times, but now for us, it's not. Mm. Like, it's it, to me, it's 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 pretty thin gruel if this is what you're arguing about after after that performance, honestly. But the but that's they need everything they can yeah, get. Like I get they, it. The but, breaks have to go their way. Yeah. So. 50-50 penalties not going their way is going to be I, the the frustration that's going to be amplified. Yeah, I mean, especially com- against Liverpool, they've complained for what it, for whatever that'll do, but it makes it makes no difference. Uh, most surprising thing I saw this week, I have two here, JJ. I want to mention Arsenal. Um, kind of what I was just saying here that this sport just does not make sense a lot of the time. So Arsenal had just lost to Crystal Palace three nil, Brighton two one, and Southampton one nil. I came on this podcast. We both pretty much said, kind of looks like this team has run out of gas. May not be over for them in this battle for top four, but I don't. It doesn't look good right now. So then, after three straight losses to like mid-table teams, they got Chelsea and United next on the docket. I don't think we'd be sitting here a week later talking about them having accumulated six points from those two, where they tally seven goals across those two games. Mm. The midfield is looks like it's flying again. Their young players are, somehow look revitalized. Um, they're getting like Eddie and Ketia is is contributing in huge ways for them now. You talked about Ramsdale earlier, who you're lukewarm on, but I think he's been really good for them in this stretch. Um, I don't know. Like I, I had said over a month ago that the only thing I know about this race for top four is basically that it will be unpredictable, and that the North London Derby on May 12th will be enormous. And I think all of that is proving to be correct. Oh my God, the stress ulcer you're going to get from that. Just a lead into that game. Well, it's going to be along awful. those lines. Like by the Your way, bowels will be all over the place. Ugh. You know what does you, that even mean? They're going to fall out of me? No, you 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 you'll get you you will definitely get some kind of a, a, a stress bowel situation. <laughs> but like, it's just weird because as Arsenal seem to be fading, and then like they get a B twelve shot and they're flying again. Meanwhile, Tottenham, the complete opposite. You know, they were coming off that run of 21 goals in six games. Now they got zero in their last two. But that's not even it. They don't have a shot on target in their last yeah, two. incredible. How does, like, can you... Matt Doherty. <sighs> the whole thing has been turned on its head. The whole system... I can't tell if you're kidding. No. I think whole... there's a, a slither of truth, oh, but... Oh, there's a good bit of truth, my friend. Not a shot on target. I know, but I... I would warn you that... I was going to say the first half against Villa were, I mean, Tottenham. You're, you're right. I said that Villa outplayed them, but they won 4 0. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That was their last shot on target, was the fourth goal from that game. All that these, was like two weeks ago. All these teams are just not very good. They're not. It's and made the, it fascinating, but it's, it's you can't predict any of this. Don't even try. It's ridiculous what's going on in this battle for top four. It's fun for neutrals. I don't know how Arsenal and Tottenham fans feel about it. I'm concerned for you. (laughs) Don't worry about me. And then, JJ, the final thing that I want to mention. So now I'm going to – I now look like this horrible guy, but I'm not trying to sports wash here. Like, I acknowledge what's going – what the ownership of that club is and how I feel about it. I'm just talking about Newcastle, the football team. Mm -hmm. Like – this we, is we sports do, washing. But we have to be able to, But they're still works. a team in the league. And we have to be able to talk about how they perform. That's how it works, though, you know. Well, so we just don't talk about them? No, like, I I'm understand. talking about them. They are. You blink your eyes. So that ownership group, they came in, they took over, and we sat here, we watched the performances, and we laughed. Oh, this all this money, and they're going down. Oh, yeah, we hoped. And we laughed and laughed. 
And then we kind of like forgot about it a little bit. And they're ninth now. It's incredible what's going on there. This team had five points after 11 matches. They were going down. Yeah, sure. And like they brought in Eddie Howe, whose stock was not in a great place. We were kind of like, look, that's their choice. Like we kind of thought this new Saudi ownership would be like aiming a little higher. So we were skeptical, I would say. And like then the transfer window happened. And certainly they they spent money. But if you actually look at the players who have impacted them in this run, so no question about it, Grimarish, Bruno Grimarish yeah. has been he's been huge for them. He's been massively important. Right. They just went out with their newfound money and ability to pay wages and bought the best young talented midfielder in Europe. Okay, I don't might be a stretch to say that, One, but, but he's a, prod- fine, a, pro- fine, a prodigy. Fine. He's been very, he's been excellent. Yeah, he's you been, can't. You, there's no glossing over this. Didn't really play their first five matches. They eased him in. He mm. came off the bench in all five. But, he's, he's easing. But, no, that's but, for sure. I mean, Eddie Howe was smart with how he used him, and now he's been massive for them. But if you look at the other ones that they that they, like, Kieran Trippier started out really good, broke his foot. Hasn't he's only played a couple games for them. Um, like Chris Wood was the one that they spent all that money on. We're like, that's a lot of money to spend on that guy. He hasn't really done anything at all. A lot of this has been their existing guys who are already there. Like Joel Linton has had Superb. this. He's he's had an unbelievable revitalization under Eddie Howe. He's been massively important for them. And and if you look at some of their other moves, like you know, okay, we can say they spent all this money. It wasn't really Dan Byrne and Matt Target that we were talking about. Those guys have been massive to this turnaround for Newcastle. So, yeah, it's. I know there's the ugly side of sports. We'll always acknowledge it, the ownership group and, and what they stand for. But in terms of the, the team, um, I did not see this coming. Even with Guimarish, I thought, okay, they'll get better. But they are ninth in the table now. And that is uh, well done, Eddie Howe, and well done many of, of those players that have fought to show this new ownership group, okay, if you're going to come in and make a lot of changes and go crazy in the transfer window, go ahead and do that. But not at my expense. These guys are earning their place in whatever Newcastle's future will be. A lot of that will go by the wayside, and they're going to spend like crazy anyway. But in the meantime, this is this has turned into a, a wildly successful season for them on the field in ways that I don't think anyone really envisioned. No, I think Howe has done a good job, particularly finding, like as you alluded to, that new position for... Joe Linton. Yeah. Put him in a kind of a deeper lying role. Since January, they're second in the table behind Liverpool. Mm. What? Yeah. It's good good coaching. Yeah. Good good uh, good spending of that money. Uh so there you go, JJ. Weekly superlatives. It's a classic. It's why people on the street stop you and go, You done your weekly superlatives yet? And they're like, oh no, not yet. <laughs> Oh, stop, everyone. Uh, all right. Uh, I think we're, we're going to close out on a mailbag, right? Yeah, just a, just a short one. Just a, okay. a short one, Andrew. Uh, CaughtOffsidePod at gmail.com, at Pod on Twitter, uh, CaughtOffsideESPN on Instagram. Braden, he emails us from St. Louis. You guys mentioned a few weeks back about watching Winning Time on HBO, the show about the birth of the Showtime Lakers. If a similar television show were ever to be made about a soccer team, who do you think would make a good choice? Now, a lot of people are screaming right now saying the unbelievable story of Leicester City in 2016. That would be one. Mm-hmm. I think Wimbledon coming all the way up from Division 4, the crazy gang years, 
to winning the FA Cup final wow. against Liverpool in 88. The best Liverpool team probably outside of this current crop, probably maybe the, I don't know, one of the greatest Liverpool sides of all time. That was unbelievable. That would make... And also, but there's the element of badness in them as well. So, and chaos. Yeah, so that's the important thing is for a show like Winning Time, like about the Lakers, here, like, have you been watching it? Yes. It's, I love it. It's great. Now, like some of the accuracy of it has been called into question, which I'd be lying if I said that didn't affect my enjoyment of it at least a little bit. Yeah. But as a show, it's like wildly entertaining and really fun. The elements of it for it to work are the team has to succeed. Like, I don't know if the show would work if they sucked. Um, and you need like characters, mega personalities. Yeah. And like, so Wimbledon has all that. All like I'm, you mentioned Leicester City. I don't know that the personalities are there for I, that to work. Yeah, they could become caricatures. That's the danger. And also, what do you do with Ranieri? Ranieri's an interesting football man, but to sell him as a entertaining character is a little bit tougher because you can't Jerry West him and have him, you know, shots of him making love or drink <laughs> drinking cans. In the Leicester City manager's office. Launching trophies through uh, <laughs> plate glass windows. Yeah. I mean, like some of the ones I was thinking about, like I wonder if like just there would be something interesting about watching the New York Cosmos kind of do their thing. Oh, yeah. With all those personalities. Well, there's a book, uh, there's a documentary and a book. Uh, the book is by Gavin Newsham, Once in a Lifetime. Yeah. And I'm, going, I'm actually going to go back and read it. Okay. Because it was so good the first time that I read it. But like the other one I was thinking Studio about. Studio 54 and. Right. Yeah. Like that that era of New York mixed with those soccer personalities. That and what been. they were doing. Was probably, that would probably make an interesting like dramatic retelling. Shep Messing and Pele and the clubs. Right. Yeah. Um, but like I, I was thinking about like you need some salaciousness. You need some controversy. So like I was thinking about 2010 France at the World Cup. But like they weren't. But can you make this story work? Yes, if they're it not, they good, don't if they have don't to win. be good. They were the story. There is this is a team full of an amazing, successful footballer. Some of them World Cup winners. Yeah, and you know this is how they end up walking off the field just for a training tantrums. Session. Yeah, I I've often said like the Anelka documentary covers some of that. To be honest, that could have been so much better. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed it. It just reminded me of the madness. Like, who are the person? Like, could any, could any of Mourinho's Chelsea teams or any of those teams? Like, because he is such a personality that like you could do a you could make a show like this around him. But are those teams' stories interesting enough? I'm sure some of them would be. I think Mourinho's time at Real Madrid when he was manager there versus Pep Guardiola. That's there's a I lot. Know, but like, does anyone look back on that Real Madrid team as being fame? Like, really, the, like the Showtime Lakers are one of the most famous sports like eras teams right. in, in American sports history. Do, do Spanish soccer fans look back on the the Mourinho Real Madrid side with, in that kind of way? I don't think so. I mean, you could do one about that Barcelona or 2008 the Pep years. Yeah, but again, that's. Sometimes winning is not. They're that, too robotic. I don't know if they're like, are they fun enough to make a, like. Was there enough this story? This Laker stuff is crazy. You know, like, I need I need that. I don't know. Maybe the Dutch teams of the 70s that came short in World Cups that okay. were unbelievable with like Johan Cruyff. I would like the animals. Some Every once in a while we'll, we'll throw out a homework assignment. And I would love, the animals are good at this. I would love for them to come up with some suggestions on, on Reddit or Twitter or wherever. 
and and send them to us because I feel like I, I know we're missing some that have to be obvious with just like like any of the Brazilian teams with all those personalities uh, the Ronaldo Ronaldinho the ninety eight one how about that team that goes all the way to the final and then there's that old bizarre dressing room where did Ronaldo phenomenon did he did he collapse did he right. what happened there they go out and then they lose three 0 to France I'm gonna keep thinking. Uh, fi- Good question, though. Thank you, Braden. Yeah, thanks, Braden. Uh, finally, uh, this is from Turkey Time. Should the U.S. consider adding Gaga Slalnina to the World Cup roster so he doesn't go to Poland's national team? With our current issues and his obvious talent, he could be a fun surprise this winter. Well, if yes, you, they should. If whoa, yes, they should. Whoa, so you're gonna bring him? Well, to the, what's he saying? Oh, bring him to the World Cup? Yeah. Oh. So he doesn't go to the Polish national team. There's two things at work here. First of all, yeah, if he yeah, goes, I missed that part of it. If he goes to the World Cup, he has to start. He has to play. Otherwise, he won't be cap tight. Right. Um, and if he goes as a member of the squad, he can still switch because of the new rules. He's not like we, he needs competitive games. The next comp. What can they do to uh, to woo him? Right, because like play him in the Nations League games. The forthcoming Nations League games. They've got to... And he does really well, and then you The World Cup is... It's a stretch to say that. It's hard for me to go to that length. Like, you don't use the World... you bring three keepers, so... It's hard to use the World Cup simply as a recruiting tool. Like, it's a little too important to be trivialized in that way. There was the picture of him receiving a number one Poland jersey. Well, Poland apparently are serious about it. Oh, yeah, and they're recruiting hard. Right. Uh, MLSsoccer.com wrote about it a a week or so ago. They said, Slanina was called into the USMNT's December camp. It was named to the CONCACAF World Cup qualifying roster in the January-February window, though he's not appeared in a game. He was one of four goalkeepers called in January, but was not involved in March when, conspicuously, the USMNT had only three goalkeepers on the squad. Uh, they mentioned Slonina was recently named in Goal.com's Next Gen 2022 list, recognizing the top 50 players born on or after January 1st, 2003. There was a report about Chelsea being interested in him. How about he has a, a really good season in MLS and you bring him because he's really good? It's just, well, yeah, I mean, in a perfect world, sure. Yeah. Um, he's just so young. And, like, you want to tell him, like, look, you can, like, Look, man, you can see that there's a pathway for you to be our guy. You're very young right now. It's like I don't. We can't guarantee you this now at this age, but like, stick with us here. You you can see this, right? Like, it's hard to just make promises like that without concrete. You know, actions speak louder than words. But like, yeah, that would that would suck if he were to bolt for Poland because this is the first time ever that I can really think of in recent U.S. soccer history from like you know mid-80s onward where it's like that that position does not feel nailed down and so if there's a really hot prospect lurking you don't want to you can't scoff at that you got to do everything you can to keep him but going jumping straight to bringing him to the World Cup just to make sure he doesn't be you know align with Poland Ah, that's tough. I mean, he was. If he were the, just like two years older, I might feel differently. He was in the stands at the, at the, uh, U.S. Open Cup match against Union Omaha with the manager of the Polish team sat beside him, mm. and then he presented him with a number one Polish jersey. Well, we'll see. And then made sure to tweet that out. They're, uh so I'm sorry. I guess we don't have a great answer for that. We're kind of we're sort of like I don't know. I guess I would say if I had to say yes or no. I, Bring him to the World Cup just to make sure he 
without any guarantee that he plays there? No, I don't think so. I don't. Mm. But but we'll let's watch how the season goes. I mean, what does he have? Five clean sheets already this season for Chicago. So merit, merit, get him in a merit. Yeah. yeah, is that it? That's it. That's it. I thought we'd do a short one because we had go. a pretty intense pod. We sure did. This was a fun podcast. Enjoyed it very much, JJ. I think uh, we'll see what happens with Seattle in the first leg of Concacaf uh, Champions League final against Pumas. Uh, Sounders. It would it would feel right for them to be the team to the MLS team to do it. it- would it not feel right if it was another dominant side of the last few years, Seattle, like Portland? Or... Of this era, Seattle have, it feels like they've kind of been that the team of the era. Always in the final or always winning it. Uh, yeah, they're good every single year. They've got trophies to back it up. All right. I, like, I would be cool. Like, it's not some flash in the pan. Okay. Like, I'd be, this would feel right to me if it's them. But we'll see what happens. It's yeah. not, it's never going to be easy. They're going to have to uh, to fight for it. Certainly. One last thing about the concert I went to last night. The support band were from Ireland too. And it reminded me of our dear friend Tommy Smith, formerly of this parish, <laughs> who is uh, obviously on Grumpy Pundits on Sirius. Uh, Tommy's team from back home, you know who that is? Dundalk? Yeah. Yeah, of course. The lead singer she was wearing for of the support band, I should call them, they were called Just Mustard. And she's wearing... A 1994 or 95 Dundalk jersey wow, nice. on stage in Brooklyn. By the way, they just killed it. They are like, do you know My Bloody Valentine? That kind of okay. guitar distortion music and kind of faint but very powerful singing. Like, really. <laughs> sure. Yeah, unbelievable. What are you wearing there, by the way? I'm wearing an SV Yellowhook top. One of the newest teams in the Cosmopolitan Soccer League, based out of Bay Ridge. I wouldn't have guessed that. Yeah. I'm glad I asked. Yeah, called Yellowhook. That's what the Dutch settlers called Bay Ridge originally, Yellowhook. I'm more familiar with Red Hook. Yeah, Red Hook. Yeah. Red Hook, Yellowhook. I'm presuming the Dutch named both of them, and they named it Yellowhook because of the color of the sand, the soil. You making this up? Nope, I'm not. All right, I believe you. I choose to believe you. All right. This was fun. Uh, I hope everybody enjoyed this. We'll, of course, be back with another edition next week as the Champions League continues. It's, uh, it's a wonderful time of the year. Sure, sure is. Love it. Absolutely love it. Hey, this was fun, man. To you, I say... Take you later, fun boy. See you later. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 